Good morning. Yeah, if you didn't uh, introduce myself earlier, my name is Kaipo Thomas, one of the pastors here. Um, great honor and privilege to bring God's word this morning. Um, it will do you well today to, to just let any one of those songs that we sang this morning just linger in your hearts throughout the message. You know, what a beautiful name it is, yeah? Or even the, the chorus, right? Jesus, we love you, you know? Just linger in that moment this morning. Um, we have love and adoration to God because he first had love and adoration to us, amen? And if you have a, a heart that is whole to God or even a, just an inkling of, of adoration to him this morning, that is a great miracle. That is a great miracle for us not to, not to take too lightly, you know? If some, something happened this morning, you know, during worship for you, man, that is a great miracle. That's not just empty words, you know? But somehow we are singing songs and it becomes worship. And you're going to need him this morning, amen? This morning we're talking about self-control and that... Uh, for ourself to be in control is a great miracle. Amen. And we're going we're gonna to need the Lord this morning. So my prep for you is just let, the, just let your spirit, you know, just be thinking about the Lord this morning and his love for you, his sacrifice for you, his thoughts for you, um, the sacrifice that he made, that he endured while he was here on the earth. And... Uh, my prayer this morning is that there would be a miracle that happens because I cannot just present information about self-control. You're going to leave here discouraged, I promise. Because our self has its way sometimes. You know, the flesh just responds to trials in this world and we just end up broken and bitter and ravaged, you know, and uh, we're left in the wake of ourself having its way and we need the lord amen we need the lord is a good place for us to be this morning if your heart is like god i am kind of at the end of myself a little bit you know that's not a bad place to be you're in good company if you've done your very best to live the life that you are called to live and it just doesn't bash up sometimes you're in good company our very best, man, is not, not even close to anything that God has for us, you know. And uh, even in our best times, man, we just fail, yeah? Self-control, you ready? We need some, we need some. Lord, let's pray this morning. Father, we worship you this morning. We ask God that your spirit would be here, that a miracle would happen, God, where... We wouldn't just talk about self-control, but somehow, God, this morning, yourself might take control of ourself, God. That somehow this morning, Lord, that there would be more of you in us than us in us. Um, yeah, so come and pour your spirit down, God, afresh and anew. Afresh and anew, Father. Jesus, I pray the result of this morning, Lord, would be people who 
are living examples of the invisible God in this God character of self-control. That in the heat of the moment, Lord, in the moments when our flesh really is, is rising up within us, God, we might be able to partner with you in showing this world that there's a better way, that there's a better one. And I pray that because of our ability, God, to be self-controlled, um, this world will know that you exist. Um, so yeah, Father, set us free this morning uh, from the control that our flesh and our, and our self has over us, God. And we pray that you would be magnified, um, exalted, lifted up, shown uh, in how we live, Lord, um, in this world. So we give you praise, Father. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Uh, so when I was, when I was young, I, I learned a lot of valuable lessons, you know, not to play with matches, um, not to talk to strangers, not to open the door um, to strangers I don't know, right? The consequences of these things could be disastrous, yeah? Um, I remember when I was a preteen, I think I was uh, elementary or, I don't know, I was pretty young but responsible. Uh, I remember I got entrusted uh, with my first knife, my dad's here, he probably can remember, my mom's here, they can, they can remember. First knife, the blade was about seven inches long, it had its cool little collar skin woven case, which is kind of like a snakeskin case, and uh, super sharp. My dad used to use it to, to clean fish. And I remember, uh, you know, being up to the challenge, you know, I know, you know, I learned the lesson, right, that the knives are sharp and dangerous, and we should be careful when we use them. And... Uh, and all I remember is it was a summer day and, and uh, I had my cousins over and we were uh, building a fort, right? Which all young boys should be doing uh, of cardboard boxes. And I don't know much about that morning. We never got around to building our fort. I just remember sitting down on the porch with this brand new knife of mine, cutting up these cardboard boxes. And next thing I know, my cousin has a fat slice on his inner thigh. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's bleeding a lot. And, uh, yeah, we never got around to building our fort that day. And my cousins never came around all that much after that. And I don't know where that knife ended up post then. You know, it just wasn't in my possession. Uh, this morning, we're talking about self-control. And it is that type of lesson. That type of, man, if we don't make a valiant effort to control this self of ours, uh, we're going to end up with worse than a knife cut. Yeah. Uh, so when I'm talking about self-control this morning, um, Scripture uh, uses a temperance or sobriety. I mean, ultimately, it's controlling the, the self or the flesh, right? It's the virtue of one who masters his or her own desires, passions, and, and appetites. Uh, in Scripture, we, we hear uh, a few phrases and a few um, commands in Scripture. So Hebrews 12.1, right, uh, where we're taught to fix our eyes on Jesus. Yeah, Paul says in Romans 12 that we should offer ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice. You know, John 3.16, very many of us are familiar with that, right, that we should believe in Jesus, you know. Believe in the one whom God has sent and the ultimate result is eternal life. 
Yeah? I think a lot of times we take these things as sh- suggestions rather than commands. Yeah? Rather than commands. And, and my, uh, I guess, advice for us this morning within regards to uh, self-control is that God's word is our, is our lamp. It is our light. It is the guide to us to live the self-controlled life. And so these uh, scriptures that we, we, a lot of us are familiar with, uh, if we take them more literally, you know, rather than as suggestions, it will be a huge help for us. So for instance, uh, so Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus so the the end result of us not fixing our eyes on Jesus is living a life entangled in sin so as I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus I'm not fixing my eyes on my issues and my dramas and things of this world get it okay so it could be a suggestion or command but ultimately it's a big difference Yes, it, it can be contrasting lifestyles. So uh, Paul in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. So if I'm offering myself to the Lord, I'm not offering myself to the world. If I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice, desiring that God would make it holy and acceptable, I'm not defiling my life by chasing after the patterns that are found in the course that this world is set on. So it's not just a suggestion. It's kind of like a command, you know? Like we want to follow the Lord, fix our eyes on Him, offer ourselves to Him, and the end result is better, yeah? In the end, for us. And within regards to self-control, we want to be self-controlled and struggling with our eyes on the Lord, with our bodies offered to Him rather than, because we live with the self, right? We live with ourselves all the time. But with our eyes fixed on Him and our, and our lives offered to Him, the end result will be better in our struggle, in our battle, because it is a struggle. It is a battle. Whether you believe or you're not a believer. Yeah, you're a young believer, old believer, young person, old person, doesn't matter who you are. You live in the flesh. We live in the self. This side of heaven, it is a struggle. It is a struggle. The, the end of, of Romans chapter 12, uh, the Lord talks about these different ways, or Paul is talking about different ways where the flesh can have its way, and ultimately the vengeance is the Lord's in the end. For people who live with lives who aren't offered to the Lord and lives who are offered to the world, the end result is vengeance of God. So the one that you guys are familiar, more familiar with maybe is, is John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, that he gives only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, would have eternal life. I'm not sure if you guys know what verse 18 says, but he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who doesn't believe in the Lord stands condemned already. Many of us think that we stand condemned when? Later in life, Yeah. Later when we die, we stand before God in glory, and then he's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous, yeah? The obedient from the disobedient. This scripture, when Jesus is saying that if you live in this life without belief in the Lord, there's already a certain type of condemnation that's already on you. 
And when we're talking about this issue of self, being self-controlled, I'm telling you, we need the Lord's help in this. Yeah? We need our eyes fixed on the Lord. We need our hearts offered onto Him. With everything within our mind and our soul, we should believe and trust in Him that His result in the end will be better. Because left to our own skills and talents and our own determination, uh, I think a lot of times the, the self will have its way. Yeah, and if you're like me, you're going to end up in these places in life where you actually hurt the people that you love. Which for me is probably one of the more difficult things for me to endure, you know? I mean, the very ones who care for me the most, I, you know, I'm not trying to hurt people, you know, let alone the people who love me and care for me. But sometimes when the, when the flesh rises up, you do things that you just, right? We respond and we say things and we, amen? You following me? Okay, you guys following me, right? It's, it's real, I think, for each person here. We all have this, right, inside of us. Yeah? When we're pushed to the test and people are there and issues and things are falling apart and people are pushing those buttons and you just, <laughs> you know, you just want to get fiery, you know. But we need the Lord, amen? We need the Lord to be, to be with us. So this morning is, is that type of lesson. A couple of scriptures this morning. Uh, Psalms 119, 105. Your word, O oh God, is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Yeah? I mean, literally, in this battle of self-control, I give you this. God's word to guard your mind, to guard your heart. It is the light onto the path. We're walking in a world of darkness that is surrounded by opportunities for the self to have its way. How do we not take the many, you know, different paths that we can walk and how do we stay on the straight and narrow? We need to be guided by God's word. What does that mean? So in, in the moment of testing, we want to respond with God's word that we've hidden in our hearts. With God's word that we've memorized and imprinted on our minds. Because if not, the close second option is the flesh. Right? The close second option is, ah, you know, you just vomit, just, ah, you know, all over people. Or you might not be a talker, but you might be more physical, which is dangerous. Or rather than being physical, you might be more self-inflicted, which is dangerous. So for not God's word, yeah, we would be people who go astray, who just allow the flesh to do whatever. And, 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 and you know, the flesh is, has no, you know, doesn't discriminate between gender, you know, financial status, ethnicity. I mean, we all live in this flesh and we all have these, this urging in us to respond to things. And, and, and if we don't have God's word as our guide, yeah, we're, we're going to go astray. Uh, Solomon, the wisest of, of all people, said, um, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you... Um, good precepts, do not forsake my teachings. When I was a son with my father tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart uh, hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget. Do not turn away from uh, the words of my mouth, do not forsake her and she will keep you, love her and she will guard you 
and he says the beginning of wisdom is this. And this is kind of humorous, okay? So he says that the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> beginning of wisdom is go get it, hold on to it. And I'm presenting to you this morning the wisdom that we need in our battle against the self is God's word. Yeah. Go get it. Yeah. Go get wisdom. Where do you get wisdom? Yeah. In the word. We discuss it. We read it. We pray about it. We listen to people who talk about it more. Yeah. All of those things are are good. Okay, so even scripture uh, talks about its difficulties. So Paul says, I mean, Peter says, right, the, the fleshly lust that we have within us, this, these cravings that we have that are almost, uh, you know, we're born with, right? They, they wage war against our soul. Paul says in Galatians 5, 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And then in Romans uh, chapter 8, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For the mind, uh, uh, for to set the mind on the flesh is death and to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set to the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot and those who are in the flesh cannot please God amen yeah we understand that there's a battle here and scripture testifies to this battle we either submitting ourselves to the Spirit and chasing after the Lord and, and our lives offered and submitted to Him. And that's a daily thing. Amen? You guys chose to submit yourselves to the Lord by showing up in church today. Yeah? Which is an awesome thing to show up and say, hey God, I'm here. Speak to me. Yeah? We're offering ourselves to Him and that's a good thing because you're going to leave here. Maybe get some tests, but you're going to have God's Word hidden in your heart. Amen? You're going to have your eyes fixed on him and you're going to be asking yourself, what is the God choice in this? Rather than maybe missing church, sleeping in a little bit, right? And, and finding out some news that you didn't know and, and not praying and not being equipped and ready and then my eyes aren't fixed on the Lord but rather on the issue and then maybe there might be a reaction that comes out of that, okay? Uh, so this morning, our story, uh, the story that we have this morning uh, is, is about a believer and, and he's not a young believer. He's a mature believer who's been walking with the Lord for a while. At this point in the story, uh, this believer um, knows who God is. He's won a ton of victories and, and battles, uh, both in the, in the flesh and also in the physical. Uh, he's already walking in his calling and his anointing, and many have been saved because of his life. But... In the midst of this journey, with his eyes fixed on the Lord, yeah, the flesh is starting to rise up, and temptation comes knocking on the door, and he ends up in a place where he probably never intended to end up. Yeah? And he's a believer. So it's a good story for us. Yeah? Um, so anyway, the story is in Second Samuel uh, chapter 11. I'm going to read uh, a good portion of it this morning. And uh, I think a lot of us are familiar with this story. If not, you're in treat. But it's, it's a story of David and Bathsheba. So David was a second king of Israel, yeah? Um, second to King Saul, whose heart wasn't really for the Lord. David was this guy who, from a young age, God saw within inside of him a desire for the Lord. 
Yeah, God raises him up, chooses him, anoints him. So at this stage, he's like king. Yeah? Um, and, and I want you to, to if you're familiar, if, you, if you're not familiar with the story, Shaka. This is the first time for you. It's like a soap opera. It's awesome. Okay? Um, if you are familiar with this story, I want to ask you to, to, to maybe uh, listen to it with, with new eyes this morning within this talk about self-control. And maybe find yourself in here. You know, I, I, I think for those who are believers in here, um, we're similar to David. I think a lot of us have hearts that are for the Lord. A lot of us are obeying, you know, God's commands and loving others. And we've been walking in faithfulness. And, and, and even within David and who he was, there was temptation. There was the flesh. There was the self. And it, and it started to unwind itself. So maybe, you know, Try to come with it with, with new eyes and new ears this morning as I read Second um, Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbi. And David remained at Jerusalem. So David's this war king, right? I mean, he's just awesome in battle. So in this time and season of battle, he sends Joab, his head commander, out to, out to battle and all of Israel. And for some reason, David stays home. Normally, he's out there. But, you know, uh, if you read pre previous uh, chapters, there had been a lot of battles. Maybe he just needed to rest, okay? Which is, which is not a bad thing. Okay, but we know David is here in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon. That's a good little underliner right there, late one afternoon. I just think about my afternoons, I'm not perky, amen? I'm probably a little more cranky than normal, maybe a little hungry, need a nap, yeah? Uh, anybody hear about the hangry people? Like you're half hungry, half angry, and you just come hangry. You know, what's wrong with you? I'm just hungry, but that's resulting in me being angry. You know, maybe David is there, right? So late one afternoon, yeah, maybe a little bit hot. Um, when David arose from his couch, right? You guys getting the picture, right? Watching some Netflix, you know, just bored, super hot, you know. Um, definitely relaxed, he rose from the couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. That he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. He's taking steps, yeah? He's taking steps. Not only did he saw this woman on the, the roof, he knew she was bathing, he knew she was beautiful, and then he sent inquiry, right? He's taking steps and following this thing that's rising up with inside of himself. Um, verse 3, and David sent and inquired about the woman, uh, the woman said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, Uriah the Hittite, one of his faithful warriors? So David sent messenger and took her, and he came to her, and he lay with her. And then, um, then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David that she was pregnant. Yeah? So it's a time, yeah? Time had kind of passed a little bit. He saw her. He saw that she was beautiful. He inquired about her. He sent for her. He wooed her. He, you know, the flesh was having its way, yeah? And time, some time had passed. She went back home, sent word back to him, like, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. So maybe a few weeks had gone by, yeah? And she found out that she, she was pregnant. Verse 6, so David sent word to Joab. Joab, who's Joab? The head commander of the army, yeah? The head commander of the army. Send me Uriah the Hittite. Who's Uriah the Hittite? 
Bathsheba's husband. Amen. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out from the king's house and there followed him uh, a, a present from the king. And Uriah slept uh, at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, um, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my lord Joab, the servant of my lord, are camping on the open field. Shall I then go to my house, eat and drink, to lie with my wife? David's like, yes, you should. As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. End of the story, right? Not the end of the story. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow, and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and, and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Junk, yeah. That's a junk story. From whom? A man whose heart was whole to God. Rather than being at battle, he was home on his couch late in the afternoon. He rises up and sees this beautiful woman showering. He gazes upon her, finds out she's beautiful, knows that she's married. But regardless of that commitment, who knows? He's king at this time. There's nobody else in all of Israel above him. Not only is he king, you know, but there's many other kings in there who sleep with women and whoever they want. Why can't David do this? Yeah, he's up there and then he gets caught in the act and then some things start unwinding in his life. As you, as you continue to read this, Joab sends this messenger back to David and says, Uriah's dead. Just that, that you know how he died, like it, it wasn't my fault. And he talks about them getting close to the city wall and, you know, being shot by arrows and all those things Joab is talking about. Like, hey, this is, you just got to know that Uriah died because in, in normal battle, I don't ever get that close to the wall. In normal battle, I'm not within the, the reach of, of arrows. I'm not even that close where people can throw rocks because he, he mentions this one guy who died from a stone that got thrown from the wall. He's like, this isn't how we battle. But just because you wanted this, we did it. Uriah died, and it also says some other people died. Some other soldiers died in that battle at the fiery place. And maybe they wouldn't have. Why? Because Joab's not done. He's like, we've been to a ton of battles. I know how to fight this. I know my distance to keep from the wall. 
But because of your command, my Lord, this is what we did. Uriah died, some other guys died. End the story. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Dun, dun, dun. Right? I mean, that, that is the, the reckoning, right? We should understand. I, I remember one of my, uh, a friend of mine said, the moment I became a believer, and, and he became a believer in his adult age, he understood one thing, that he was now accountable for all that he did. For the first time in his life, he understood that God was real and God was all-knowing. Yeah? And David knew that God was real. We know that God is real. And this battle against the flesh is real. Okay? So the story continues, right? In, in chapter 12, David, as, as far as he knows, is scot-free. It's scot-free. Nobody else knows what happened. Yeah? Nobody else knows what is going on except for Joab, who's the head commander, who's not going to say anything. And here comes Nathan, the prophet Nathan, who comes and he starts telling uh, David all that had happened. He said, hey, David, we got to talk. There was this man, yeah, and he cheated on this guy's wife, and he took the girl's wife in, and she got pregnant, and then he sent, like, the, the husband out, and the husband died, and then now he took the wife in and, his, and made her his wife, and David's, like, furious. I mean, I'm not sure how many time had passed, but David's like, find me this guy. This guy has to pay for his injustice. And Nathan goes, it's you. You're the one. You're the disobedient one who's living the righteous life on the outside, but on the inside, far from God. It's you, David. You're the one. You're the murderer. You're the adulterer. You're the one who is malicious in that and, and working this out and planning it out. It is your sin, and you are accountable for that. And we can start to see a little bit, you know, of who David is. He's like, uh. I'm not sure how many of you guys have been rebuked in that way. Yeah. And David actually responds in, in, in a great way. One of the, the consequences, well, I guess, let me, let me just. David doesn't run in his time of repentance. Yeah? His time of rebuke, David doesn't run. He actually repents and, and starts, and he worships. Yeah? He has his eyes fixed on the Lord, and he definitely started getting funky in his eyes of the Lord and made some bad decisions, you know? Made some bad decisions. But in the moment when he's confronted with his, the reality of his flesh and his choices, he doesn't run from God. He actually runs more towards God. Scripture says he stops and, and he worships. Yeah? He worships. And, and one of the consequences of his disobedience was that that son that was born to Bathsheba uh, was afflicted by the Lord and that baby dies. And so as the baby gets sick, David's worshiping and he's praying and he's lamenting. And, and as soon as the baby dies, he, he completes himself and he, and he moves on with life. 
And God ends up redeeming the story in the end and, he, and in the next child born to him from Bathsheba is Solomon, who becomes the next king, yeah? But w w what are the, some of the lessons, yeah, that, that we learn um, this morning from this story? You know, one, I'm thinking that um, even in his sin, uh, and, and, and this isn't despite his sin, but, but his heart was whole. I believe that within David, his heart was whole because it was testified before and even after his sin, he ran towards the Lord instead of away from the Lord. Um, instead of running or, or raging in the rebuke, he, he repented. Yeah? And this is a, a, a good practice for us. Um, it, it is a common belief of ours uh, in the Christian church that only God, or even in the world, that only God can judge us. Amen? It's not biblical. I mean, ultimately, God will judge us, but God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to make assessments of our lives. Yeah? And in a loving way, we're called to judge those inside of the church, Paul says, and God will judge those outside of the church. As a community of faith, I need brothers and sisters to keep my uh, flesh in check. I mean, it's one thing for us to make uh, amends with the Lord. Amen? Like, that's a good thing for us to repent to God, es especially for sins that are what? Repeat, yeah? Repetitive sins. I mean, those are the hardest for me to ask for forgiveness, right? I mean, if it's like a one-time thing, boom, I do it once and I'd ask God for forgiveness and move on. Everything's good, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just in my repentance. Part of that word repentance means turning, right? So I'm doing my own thing. God, I'm sorry. I turn and I never go back. But what about those sins that are just constant and repetitive and I wake up one morning and it happens and then I wait a couple more days and it happens again. And more, you know, those get difficult, right, to go to the Lord, because I have to come to him all over again and say, God, this time I'm honest, right? Like truthfully, honestly, I want to do the right thing. And I think a lot of us are honest and we want to do the right thing. But sometimes we're just unequipped and we just keep on stumbling over the same thing over and over and over again up until a miracle happens and we don't struggle with that. But so, 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 so David's heart was whole to him and, and David was, was repentant when he was confronted by it and and in here, we, we need God's word. Let me give you two scriptures this morning, yeah, to, to, to implant. And, and I think one of them you guys know, well, probably two of them I've, I've, I've said before, and, and I know Pastor Sean has, has used, but um, in our moment of being confronted or in our moment of sin, we got to understand, like 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? That when you mess up, fess up and move on. Amen? Like sometimes we live in this like penance stage where I do one wrong and I got to do one good, yeah? And I do another wrong and so I got to do two goods. And I do that same wrong again and I should do four goods. That's not how it works within Christianity. Within Christianity, there's the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. All we do is submit ourselves to him. And we say, Jesus, you bore my sins on your shoulders. I trust in you that you're going to cleanse me from all that is unrighteous. Amen? So we need God's word. This is a good, good thing for us to remember because in our sin, sometimes what we don't want to do is confess when actually that's the first step into recovery is God, my bad. But not only to God, right? We can get a certain type of healing when we confess to God. But we can get a different type of healing 
when we confess to man. If not, Scripture probably wouldn't attest to it. In, in the book of James, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Amen? So why do we have to confess to one another if we've already confessed to God? In my mind, there's something that happens when we confess to one another that is a little bit different than when we confess to God. Like for me, it's, it's, it's easy for me to confess to God. Easy-ish, right? Easy-ish. Yeah, because it's not easy sometimes, but sometimes easier than confessing to people. I confess to God and, and almost be detached because really the secret's only between God and I. But when I confess to a friend, right, someone who's a spiritual mentor or a spouse or a parent or something, that's challenging, man. That's super challenging because now sometimes there's what? There can be consequences to your behaviors even though you've been forgiven by God. But those consequences are good. Those consequences can be good. For example, a parent giving a consequence to a child for doing something that is endangering their lives. Good? Beneficial? Yes. Very beneficial. But who are the parents in our lives as adults? Yeah? We got to invite those people into our lives because there can be healing when those type of people yeah, pray for us. When we confess to those people, and, and I wouldn't say like everybody or social media, none of that stuff. I would say like one or two people that you trust, amen? And, and that maybe are a little bit more knowledgeable about the, the word than you. I remember my first time we had, uh, I started doing accountability groups in high school. Uh, a friend of mine uh, started meeting and it was only both of us and, and we ended up finding out eventually that we both struggled with lust and and it was good that we were confessing, we could pray for one another, but the challenge was that was like the blind leading the blind. You know, like he struggled with it, I struggled with it, and we both were like struggling with it. So in our confession, we can get healing, but we should try to like really assess who it is that we, we talk to. But we should definitely find people. Yeah, spouses, spiritual mentors, like those who've been walking for a little bit. It's good for us to invite that. So David, in his, in his struggle, right, his heart was whole to God. Secondly, in, in, in his time of, of, of being rebuked, he didn't run away from God. He actually ran to the Lord. Um, another lesson we can learn from this story is that uh, there's no such thing as secret sins. Amen? Yeah? That's a lie from the devil. Ultimately, every sin that we do has some kind of consequence, either between our relationship with God our relationship within our own selves or our relationship with, with somebody else. Yeah? It'll, it'll surface in some way, shape, or form. Amen? Um, and, and so I, I want to also say this too, that we, we can learn within um, our story this morning that uh, there, there can be consequences to sin. Not all the time, but most of the time. And some of those consequences can be pretty destructive. In, in this case, David loses his baby. How? Because the Lord afflicted the baby. And I don't understand that. It wasn't like by chance that the baby got sick and died. In Scripture, it writes that the Lord afflicted the child. 
I mean, we know that the end story is that he, he repents, he comes back to the Lord, and then Bathsheba births Solomon, amen? And Solomon continues this lineage. So we know that the story ends good, but I think a lot of us maybe struggle with that. Anybody? The fact that God afflicted this baby who was innocent and that baby died. Why? Not because of its sin, but because of the sin of the father. That's kind of heavy, no? Anybody struggling with that a little bit? Amen? What? You're loving God. Why? Why are you doing this? I don't understand. Well, let me just tell you that there's another story of another baby who was perfect and blameless, and that baby died also. And the end result of that baby dying meant eternal life for me. God is sovereign, amen? So much bigger than what we can understand or comprehend. Jesus never, I mean, God never spared his son, Jesus. That baby rose up and was pure and died a sinner's death, even though him himself wasn't a sinner. And that doesn't make any sense either. Not only was he a baby, he was God. But the end result of that was that we received eternal life. But I want to say that sometimes there is consequence to our sin and sometimes those are good things. I think we understand that when we discipline younger ones, but when we get disciplined as adults, we start crying like little ones, you know? What is going on? God, you're supposed to be gracious. God, you're supposed to be merciful. Sometimes, like in Hebrews chapter 12, right? Scripture says, if you're not disciplined, you're illegitimate children. Meaning, like, I cannot discipline you if you're not my child. And God's like, I want to discipline you because you are my child. But if you're not going to receive the discipline, that means you're not really my child. You're not really going to receive the rebuke that is coming your way. How are we doing? You guys still singing those worship songs? Jesus, we love you. Right? We need him this morning. Amen? Uh, so a couple of things, right? As, as we leave this morning, uh, God's will for us is our sanctification. What is that? That's, that's after we, we come to the saving knowledge of who God is and we're saved, God starts or continues to walk with us and journey with us and make us more like him. Amen? He does that by giving us his word that washes us. He gives us the body of Christ so that we can be sharpened by one another. But his goal is that we would become more godly, yeah, and less selfly. Amen? Right? After we become believers, God's like, let's journey together. Not only in your outward expression, but let me put my word on your heart. Let me shape your desires. Let me give you a craving to love God and love others. That is the better way. That is the better way to live. That's the better way to go. So God's desire for us is that we would journey. And sanctification has that time aspect of it where we wake up one morning. Hey God, how you doing? I love you. Be with me today. Right? And throughout the day, we're talking to him. The next morning, we wake up, God, how are you doing? I need you today just as much as I did the day before. I'm not sure what challenges today have, but I need you again. We wake up the next morning. What do we do? The same thing. How's it going, God? Good morning. One more day. Let's go. I need you, like, literally right by my side. Yeah? And then we get to a place where we understand his thoughts and his thinking and his heart and his desire. And then we look back and we see a life of godliness, amen?
that wouldn't have happened if God wasn't in it. So God's desire for us is sanctification. So earlier I said, you know, some of the things that he, Scripture says, right, is for us to fix our eyes on him, to offer ourselves, to believe and, and trust in him. Jesus says in, in Matthew 16, 24, that he actually calls us to what? To deny the self. To deny, right, ourselves. To take up our cross, to, to follow him. We're, we're, we're choosing as believers not to satisfy our own desires, needs, appetites, cravings, but submit those things to the Lord. And this is difficult, right? It's like eat, but you can eat too much. Yeah? I mean, it's like go out in the sun and have fun, don't get sunburned. I mean, it's like almost impossible, right? This living with the Lord and doing these things. So talk about sex for, for an instance. In order to have godly sex, all the stars have to align for that to happen. Right? I mean, you have to be of age to be responsible enough to find a girl, to have a job, to buy a ring, to have enough courage to propose to her, or vice versa. Even art, if you're the girl, you have to wait for a guy who's responsible, who's of age, who has a job, who can buy you a ring, who has enough courage to talk to your dad, your mom, just to get to this moment of something that is ingrained in us. To live self-controlled within sexual, to be sexually pure. I mean, really, we need the Lord. Amen? If not, we'll be just like everybody else. No need commitment. I have this desire. I have this craving. It's within me. Let me satisfy it. To be self-controlled, yeah. It's going to take time. It's going to take a day when I wake up, walk with the Lord. Next day, wake up, walk with the Lord. Next day, wake up, walk with the Lord. Next day, grab some scripture, equip myself, hide it into my heart, yeah, write it in my mind, memorize it, so that in the moment of my flesh wanting to do its way, God's word will be my guide. Good? Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Let us consider Jesus. Yeah? Let us consider Jesus. None of us have gone to the extent of shedding our blood because it can get, it can get difficult, right? This life of, of just working at the flesh, working at the flesh, rather than just satisfying it and doing whatever the flesh wants. It, it just gets trying sometimes. And in the letter of Hebrews chapter 12, he says, consider Jesus who endured such hostility and such opposition, yeah? So that we can be encouraged. Why? Because we haven't yet gone to the point of shedding our blood. He has. And he did it for our sake. Uh, Romans chapter 3. Um, and and this, is, this is a great, uh, uh, great couple verses right here. Yeah? That what did Jesus do for us in this battle? Ultimately, he condemned sin. Yeah? Jesus condemned sin. And then you, however are not in the flesh, but now as believers, we live in the spirit. So what does he do after we become believers? To help us in this path. He dwells with inside of us. The spirit, the third Godhead comes and he fills us with the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. And he said, hey, your dead carnal flesh, I'm going to embody, yeah, and send that to the cross and give you life and life more abundantly. Amen? So really, I mean, it's a miracle in order for us to live self-controlled lives, gosh, we need more of him than less than us. Yeah? We have to get to this place where we say, God, 
it is not I that needs to increase, but you, God, need to, I need to decrease, and you, God, need to increase more and more and more in this life that I am living. So Paul continues, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your what? Mortal bodies, yeah? Through his spirit who dwells in you. Anybody need some life this morning? Yeah? Some just courage and some strength in this life that we're living. It is here. Okay, not only did he condemn sin, not only is he living in us, but scripture says that he is praying for us. That Jesus can identify with us in our weakness. And so now, right, the spirit is in us, but also there. And what is the spirit doing? Going before the Father and saying, hey, you know my friends there in Kulamawi? They need you, God. And he's praying for us with groans that are inexpressible. Hey, you can be encouraged this morning to live the fight, yeah? The battle against your flesh. Why? Because God is out there saying, hey, you guys can do it. You guys can do it. I gave you everything that you need in this life that pertains to godliness. You hear that word from Peter? He's given us everything in this life that regards to godliness. That this right impossibility of becoming more godly is possible it's possible because god has involved himself in our lives okay last thing so i gave you a bunch of scriptures that can can help you right let's fix our eyes on jesus offer ourselves to him uh, in our times of messing up let's fess up move on right first john 1 9 if you confess our sins he's faithful and just forgive us confess ourselves to other there's this type of healing that can come through there so those are all good let me give you just just one practical thing that has helped me so i in a season of my life i had to go to counseling i just was blinded and my friends couldn't help me and sometimes we need somebody who's a little bit smarter amen specific within the area of the struggle that we have. And so I, I went to a, a friend of mine, and um, he taught me HALT. Yeah, that we got to know our, our triggers. So um, HALT stands for um, when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. In those moments is probably our weaker times. Yeah? So when we're hungry you may get frustrated when you're angry you kind of already on the edge already amen when you're lonely you don't have brothers or sisters or or spouse right or a parent around you to, to to help you in that journey tired you already on the brink physically the self is just on the edge of losing it so what do we do yeah when we're hungry you eat amen and not a lot but you eat enough and hopefully healthy yeah um when you're angry, right, you take time away, right? It's not a sin to be angry, but that anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. In our anger, we got to take time to have healthy outlets. Exercise, dive, go for a walk, go for a drive so you don't do something that you're going to regret later or say something that you're going to regret later, yeah? So in our, in our anger, we got to protect that, right? In our loneliness, I know for me, after I come off of like a, a big event or something, when around a lot of people, it can be, you know, I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm hungry, and I want to surround myself with life-enhancing people, amen? So if I get, you get a call from me, show up, yeah? Hey, hey, I need to hang out. Okay, I got to come, hang out. Pastor needs my help, okay? Or even tired, yeah? David was what? Home, 
late afternoon, sitting on the couch. Yeah, maybe a little weary from battle. He probably should have just went to sleep. Amen? A lot of the young ones from teenage to 20s would do themselves well to just go to sleep at night. Yeah? Um, so these are some practical things, right, just to build healthy habits in our lives. But we want to build healthy um, uh, we just want to manage ourselves in the time of peace so that when the time of peace isn't there, we kind of already have some habits in place. Amen? So let, hey, let's stand this morning. We're, we're right at our adjourning time. Um, the, the band will come up and, and close us in, in worship, and you guys are free to li- leave. But I just want to pray for you guys because I understand that this is not just a better myself sermon, but it can be. Amen? But we understand that the self uh, isn't good, so it's hard for the self to better the self. We need some spirit this morning, amen? So let me just pray for, pray for you this morning. If you need prayer for anything specific, come and talk to me or, or write something on the Connect card and, and we'll get a hold of you this week. You know, but if, you, if you're struggling with some sins, and, and, and chances are uh, they aren't new sins every day, yeah? If that's you, for sure call us because that's not normal. Chances are you're struggling with the same thing or your flesh has its outward appearance in, in similar ways all the time. And, and maybe all you need is, is to confess to a pastor and, and have a pastor pray for you, you know. Um, if not a pastor, we, we have a lot of mature believers around here. And, and I would love to connect you guys with some, some people of the maybe the same age or, you know, same type of upbringing. And just, you know, be able to support you guys in this life because this is God's will. Is, is our sanctification. Yeah. And so if you have something in mind this morning of what it looks like when your flesh has its way, can you just mentally, symbolically put it in your hand and hold it out in front of you? And I'm just going to ask God to, to free you of that this morning. Yeah. Let's pray. Let's pray.